You're a long way from the crash, little ones. It seems as if you should listen to more monsters, madness, and magic. Let the gate tadpole ravage your mind. All right, folks. Welcome to the Monsters, Madness, and Magic podcast. I'm your host, Justin, here with a quick word before we dive in. Now, in this episode, I chat with actor Deborah Wilde about cats, acting on stage, the Titanic, becoming a Githyanki warrior, Baldur's Gate 3, and more. Now, just a heads up, there is a slight bit of interference on Devora's side at some points, but I've doctored it up. It, everything's fine. We had a limited time for this interview, so it's a bit shorter than usual, but I still believe you'll enjoy it. Anyway, thank you all for listening out there. If you're watching on YouTube, like, comment, subscribe, and all that good stuff. And if you're listening to the podcast on your preferred platform of choice, please leave us a review if you feel so inclined. Anyway... Without further ado, here you go. Greetings, boils and ghouls. This is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> So, Devorah, take us back in time. You're a youngster. Are you a book reader, <laughs> fort builder, troublemaker, or all the above? Uh, probably book reader. Definitely not a troublemaker. Probably not a fort builder either, actually. But I feel like that's um kind of regret that. That sounds like the most fun option out of all of those. Hey, you're still young. You can still do it. Yeah, <laughs> still do it. Probably more fun as an adult. Then yeah. no one can tell you off. <laughs> So you said you're a book reader. Did you have a maybe a writer, an author that you leaned towards early on that you remember? Well, like a lot of people, I was obsessed with Harry Potter. That was still coming out when I was young. I don't know how old I was, maybe nine or ten. Mm. It was the first book and then kind of going up from there. So I loved that. It was just like, <laughs> couldn't put it down. And now I'm one of those people that really doesn't enjoy the films because I feel like they didn't do the books justice. <laughs> Sue me. What can I do? <laughs> you know? So what about when you think to maybe formative films and TV shows that you grew up on? What comes to mind? Ooh. Hmm. That's a good question. I was obsessed with Titanic. <laughs> which, again, probably for like a 12-year-old, wasn't the best. But obsessed. Absolutely obsessed. I think I watched it like... 12 to 15 times didn't go to the theater to see it i saw it just i think when it came out on video or something i was pretty obsessed it started off a very big titanic phase for me i used to watch home and away the australian soap opera i'm not familiar with that one do you have it obviously it's very big in australia and they have it in the uk as well so i used to watch that and a little bit of disney but like not crazy amounts of disney like i liked aladdin the jungle book stuff like that and a lot of Cartoon Network. I see you have a friend with Not, you. Yes, I do. This is, this is Miss Grumpy. <laughs> this is Miss Grumpy. She, um, leave me alone, especially when I sit down and open my laptop. Just I understand. I have seven so, cats myself. Oh, yeah. What? <laughs> I had to kick them all this out of the room. This interview is now just going to be about cats. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Hold up. 
You have seven cats. You are my idol. <laughs> you are my dream. Oh my god! Did you, was it that kind of situation where you started off with one and then you were like, "Oh shit!" Now I have seven. It, funny enough, I used to be allergic to cats when I was a kid, and I just <laughs> overcame it by brute force by just getting more cats until my body just stopped, decided to be allergic. <laughs> Oh, I love that. And I used to work in a pet store as well. So I just got one cat and then I would just see them and they would watch me oh. as I work and I'd watch them all day. So yeah. now now we have seven. Yeah, they'd be like, take me home. <laughs> yes. Take me home. Yeah, I know. I was like not a cat person. And then I got one cat and now I have two cats. And I could easily go to seven. Yeah, they're going to um, multiply. But, yeah, but I've been banned from getting any more cats for now. <laughs> I have three dogs too. Oh my, do they get on? Yeah, they do. They love each other. Usually, if there is problems, it's caused by the cats. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I understand that. That's that's pretty fair. What about your parents? Would you say that either one of them were involved in the business or artistically inclined? Is that maybe where you got it from? No, 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 no. My whole family is doctors. They're all doctors. They're all medical. They're all quite, yeah, academic, I suppose you'd say, like more sort of traditional professions. So, no, this acting thing, I just always really loved it. And I always loved like performing and singing and, and dancing and stuff, which is quite weird because I was also quite shy mm. as a child. And I kind of still am. Like, I'm quite like introverted. and I don't really love to like, I'm the kind of person that you have to drag me somewhere and then I'll really enjoy it. Yeah, I have to really be sort of dragged. So do you have a eureka moment or an aha moment you can point to where you, you know, decided maybe to give it a try? That's for me. Well, there was a time, I don't know if this might actually Eureka moment, but this is quite funny. Probably in my first years of school, like I was seven or eight maybe, and I got cast as Sneezy the Dwarf in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, <laughs> which I thought was a pretty shit part because obviously everyone wants to be Snow White. Mm -hmm. So I get Sneezy the Dwarf, right? My role, I, I get a big cushion underneath my t-shirt. I have pictures of this as well, which is just horrific. <laughs> But yeah, a big pillow stuffed underneath, a belt to sort of tie up under that so the pillow doesn't fall through, and a little hat. And I was like, I really was not happy with this costume decision. But then the teachers were like, okay, you have to just do some big sneezes. That's that's your part, essentially. And when I started doing those big sneezes, I actually got the biggest laugh. And I realized it's actually quite nice. Maybe you're not like the role that you wanted, but actually people really enjoyed my performance, my really mm -hmm. deep performance of Sneezy the Dwarf. And people were laughing at it. So that was, I don't know if that's the moment that made me go like, oh, I really want to be an actor, like a serious actor. But I did really enjoy that. It's a lesson. It's a life lesson, you know? You've got to, there are no small parts. Only small action. Right. Well said. So you said you were shy. Did you have to do a stage fright early on? Did you have to overcome it? Yeah. I, I wouldn't say I had very serious stage fright. I just always made sure to, you know, be very prepared, know my lines, uh, especially if it was for theater and stuff. Like, because that, that's quite scary because if you mess up, you know, can't really go back like you can in film. But then also kind of learn to embrace it. And I think it doesn't matter if things go wrong. And actually, most of the time, you might be really nervous, but nobody can really tell. But I was never, no, I wouldn't say I had stage fright. Definitely, there was a few times when, if I've done stage things, and right before I've done something, like, why did I do this to myself? Why, 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 why? And you go on, you do it, and you're like, oh, my God, I just want to do that again. Yeah. It's crazy. It's so weird. So this is something I like to ask everyone, just because you never know someone's background. Uh, what scared you as a kid? The dark, a bit. What else scared me? 
that was it really i remember being uh, frightened of anything massively but like really pitch black actually really scares me that still kind of scares me as an adult like i can't sleep in a pitch black room because i wake up and i can't get my bearings and that freaks me out don't think there's any monsters hiding under the bed but there has to be a little chink of light somewhere did you have any favorite roles to play while you were on stage well i had a funny role to play this is not you bring out all my funny stories <laughs> uh this definitely wasn't a favorite role but it was quite amusing in my time at drama school we all had to do a pantomime so in england i don't know if you have this where you live but in england at christmas most places do like a christmas pantomime it's very silly and it's usually based on some like classic story like snow white or i don't know beauty and the beast but mm. it's like it's kind of changed and it's very over the top and there's lots of stupid songs and it's really weird like i'm not english so when i came here i was like so weird so strange but anyway part of our drama school training i suppose was to go out and do these pantomimes at christmas to kids in various schools and i played the christmas like you know you'd think this was cute if i was maybe like seven but i was a grown woman playing a christmas cat with little whiskers and little ears and i don't know i think i had a little song and stuff and that traumatized me oh, no. i know you asked me about favorite roles, <laughs> that one just that one really sticks out i would never do that to myself again but it, you know it was fun it was part of the um it was part of the learning curve so I like to ask all actors I speak with because to you know us non-actors, we always hear the terms you know method acting thrown around, and I think it's mm. kind of, it's kind of muddled. So what is your method? Yeah, method acting. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Uh, no. I, well, well, my method, I um, it really depends on each different role. Wouldn't say that I'm a tradi traditional method actor in the sense that it gets kind of thrown around like Hollywood, where right. you know, in Hollywood, where they sort of live live the role and you know they're they're in character the whole time because that's quite exhausting. Switch it off. Uh, I think you can get really bad trauma from doing stuff like that. I kind of start with the lines and the language. I get inspiration maybe from other roles or similar type of things if i've seen something that reminds me of something but most of all i just go with my instinct i don't have a specific process because once you're on set or wherever you are you're going to be working with a director who has his own or his or her own spin on things and own approach and you're going to have to be quite flexible and take notes and, and take that into consideration and you're going to be working with your fellow actors because half of acting or more than half of acting is listening mm. so if you have a really rigid performance already prepped, then you can't be open and listen to your fellow actors and respond in the moment acting roles are an extension of you i don't think you have to become a different person or you know transform yourself i'm sort of part of the school of acting that says it's you but under different circumstances or under you know with this type of i don't know different physicality you it's all you it's just pulling out bits slightly stronger i think just listening being present and being open is is my method so how did that uh, initial transition from being on the stage how did you get your first screen role well to be honest most of the stage stuff i did was at drama school mm. i haven't done that much stage since i mean i'd love to do more stage but it's very it's very difficult to do stage stuff in the uk it's like probably harder to get into the screen stuff so i 
did well. I had my own theatre company that I formed after with one of my friends that I formed after I left drum school, so we could put on our own productions and we did a lot of that. I think my first like on screen stuff was commercials. So I did a commercial for Hellman's Mayo <laughs> mayonnaise. I don't know if you have. Yeah, we like do. <laughs> yeah, Hellman's. and then I did a commercial with Johnny Walker with Jensen Button, and then I started to do like little short films uh then i did guest stars in like hollyoaks which is a big soap here in the uk then some feature films and you know just sticking along really it just it takes a while was it your intention to break into the voiceover realm or did it just happen naturally well it wasn't it wasn't i i'd never because we'd spent so little time really training for at drama school it was very because i trained 10 years ago and voiceovers then i suppose voiceovers were always voiceovers but i guess video games weren't such a huge thing and so they sort of glossed over it a little bit and i was like oh well this would be nice you know kind of side hustle stuff but it didn't it was never presented really as a as a thing of its own i think a few years down the line i was just like you know what people keep telling me i have a nice voice which is kind of a weird thing to hear when you're not I don't know, singing or, or doing something with your voice, like you're just talking. And I was like, God, maybe I should, um, I had a I had a reel already. I was like, maybe I should just, and fast forward, here we are. <laughs> so, but it's always, I find that it's always the case with things that, or you don't have the intention of them happening, are usually the, the best thing. You're not so intent on it that you're kind of, you let it flow. And if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. So I, I was very much like that about, about voice work. And I think that's why I had so much success in it because I haven't, hyper-focused on it, which I do about a lot of other things in my life. So was Baldur's Gate 3 your first experience with like serious motion capture work? Yeah. Well, I was a bit intimidated at first because obviously you go into this room with cameras and you've got the suit and the dots and you have to stand in a certain way. And But then I actually realized it's not, it, it's really not so, it's not so hard. It's technical in the sense that you have to be aware of what you're doing. You have to be aware that your movements are getting picked up. Not that you would anyway, but you have, you can't just act like without moving on the parts of your body. But I don't think any actor would do that naturally. Like even if I'm doing just voiceover work, I will act with my body anyway and just gesticulate and do all that. I think the more you do it, it's like anything. The more you do it, the more you get used to it. I think the biggest challenge with that is it's such a rich world and it's so beautiful when you see it in the game and it's so you don't have a reference really for that world. I mean, you know, I was shown pictures of various characters or, or things like that, but you're not immersed in the world. I suppose it's like doing a film and having to act on a green screen, you know, yeah. like I guess they do that for a lot of fantasy stuff, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, and you have to really use your imagination because, you know, there's a dragon overhead or there's a big explosion over here. And I was speaking with uh, your co-stars, Neil and uh, Samantha, recently. They pretty much said that motion capture is a nice medium between the stage and the screen that it's more akin to theater would you say that's kind of accurate yeah i would because you have to like i said you have to be very aware of your actions and you have to i don't want to say over exaggerate because that can be a bit film is a medium where you speak through your eyes and your face but most of your eyes whereas motion capture theater things like that you it's the whole body and it's a lot more about the gestures and it's a lot more about the the whole movement of your of your body because in theater obviously if you're just speaking with your eyes no one's going to see you right <laughs> so and it, it's kind of like that with with motion capture i'd say and yeah it's a nice medium between the two so do you recall that initial audition for Baldur's Gate being typical anything stand out Sorry, about it my, well it wasn't typical for voice 
auditions, obviously because it was a motion capture job, so we had to do like a proper self-tape. And by that, I mean, we had to actually film ourselves. So usually uh, if I get voice auditions, I just record them and send them off voice only. So this one, it was it was quite specific. It was like, I think you had to do one three quarter length and then one maybe like a little bit closer first or second audition ever for this kind of stuff. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, I'll approach it like a normal acting self-tape and just sort of sort of take it from there. And I think that helped me because obviously I've been doing sort of self-tapes and, you know, people like to refer to it as voice acting, but it's acting really. It, it's no different. Right. I was telling Samantha, it almost seems kind of derogatory to call what you guys do voice acting. A bit. Yeah. yeah I think especially with, with Boulder's Gate 3, where we are doing the motion capture as well, it is essentially, we're doing the whole performance. You just can't see our face. And I think even, even with uh, jobs that are purely voice acting like i said before you know you're always putting everything into it you're doing the same prep you're doing the same performance the only difference is and i think that i would argue this makes it harder is that you can't use your um you can't use your body language to actually display what you're feeling so in many ways you, you have to work a lot harder with lazel specifically were you given much direction for the voice or did you did you just nail it when you went in and that was the, that was it i was recently looking at my audition actually for lazel which I didn't know, obviously know it was the laser at the time. And I was like, wow, that was pretty spot on, actually. That was pretty spot on. I mean, it was always a, a very much a team effort. You know, it was very collaborative uh, between myself, the writers, the directors, and, and everyone like that. I think the only thing that really changed with Lazelle was the voice got a little bit deeper and sort of lower in register. But actually, it sort of worked. So I had a moment where I was like, oh my God, the early access stuff, does that sound a bit too sort of high, like my normal voice? And then the later stuff maybe is a bit lower in pitch, pitch. But actually, and now I'm playing the game myself, it sounds fine. The difference isn't that noticeable. And actually, there's something quite nice about the intensity and the pitch of the voice getting lower as the game goes on. Because I think that Lizelle is the sort of you know, she's very young. She's the youngest in, in the game. She's meant to be, I want to say, 18 or something. So she comes and she's with this, like, very brash sort of attitude. Like, you know, like a teenager that thinks they know everything. Right. And actually, as the game goes on, obviously, we find out things and things happen. I'm not going to give anything away. but And she, she sort of grows up and gets a bit more mature. And I think that that's uh, that actually weirdly gets translated into the voice and the performance almost coincidentally but i didn't i didn't i didn't um actually think of you know i didn't uh make a conscious choice to do that but it did happen what's your holy shit moment with Baldur's gate 3 when did you realize oh this is one of the biggest game launches of all time it took me a while i mean i i, I think i'm still sort of realizing it uh you know what with the game awards now and the game of the year and all these things happening and i think when the game came out in august obviously people hadn't played so it was like oh it's come out and you know everyone was asking about lazelle and i was doing sort of videos about lazelle and it was it was great but nobody had really had a chance to play and see the, the arc of late well, the many different options and things you can do with lazelle and, and her story and stuff like that and now people have had a chance and obviously then it was playstation launch and now it's out on xbox so it's like wave after wave of players that is discovering and i've had a chance to really get to know her because i don't think she was um a staple in many oh god that's my other cat now Summer, please <laughs> it's a party. leave miss grumpy alone yes <laughs> Just and leave me alone. That's not going to happen, is it? Uh, yeah, I think she was not many people's first choice, 
but so it took people maybe a little bit while longer to to get her in their party or do a second playthrough with her and stuff like that so yeah i don't know it's still sort of hitting me you know um we got like uh, myself and jennifer english who played Shadowheart. we got interviewed by the bbc just stuff like that like <laughs> which is crazy i mean it yeah i didn't i honestly never expected it ever mm. Well, it's well-deserved. Oh, yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank you. And uh, what would you say is the best acting advice you've received and who gave it to you? Ooh. Hmm. One of my, well, one of my wonderful teachers, acting teachers, um, and an actor in his own right, Mitchell Marlon, he's a wonderful human being and has taught me for many years in London at um, Anthony Mindell Actors Workshop, which is one of my favorite studios they well they have branches worldwide and uh, i spent many years there to, you know that's where i learned and he always used to come out with these gems but i think i don't know if i can pinpoint just one thing but it was a lot about what i was saying at the beginning really just being present listening put all, pulling all your attention onto your theme partner onto the other actor because mm. it's not about you i think it's very easy to get mixed up in this thing like oh i'm an actor now it's my line so i'm gonna make it all about me and like my emotion and all of that but that doesn't work in life that's not how things go and that's not how conversations go we're always we're always trying to do something to the other person we're always trying to affect the other person or or whatever so if we want to be as truthful as possible we have to lean into the other person lean into our listening and he always said to also lean into your hotness i think that's a massive lesson just because i think we spend so much of our lives and our time trying to be so perfect and trying to do this so well trying to fit into somebody else's box and do whatever whatever but actually my biggest like aha moment for this whole year has been that the more i've lent into myself and just done things silly things whatever i want whatever makes me feel good and sort of highlights my quirkiness and my weirdness as i don't know it's it's just made me come out of my shell but then it's made more people connect with me and me connect with more people mm. so it's like the more yourself you are because you know everyone's like be yourself just be yourself be yourself but that's so hard actually that's really really hard and it's taken me so long to actually start even realizing what that here's another one i like to ask everyone have, sure. you, ever, have you ever had an experience you would consider supernatural or paranormal no I haven't. I don't think I have. Or something, a, an event you can't explain if you don't like those words. Oh, I probably have, and I can't think of it. <laughs> I've definitely, had, yeah, I've definitely had like weird, unexplained events, but they're sort of floating around in the ether of my memory, and I can't like pinpoint one. But I have had strange things happen. Not super, not like spooky, supernatural, but sometimes strange. One specific one. I wouldn't like to meet any ghosts. I don't think I'd be a little bit freaked out. I'm with you. Ghosts, yeah, and certainly not in the dark. Please, not in the dark. <laughs> I'd be so freaked out. I just wouldn't. Sleep. Yeah, yeah, no, no, thanks. Yeah, I've always been interested in that sort of stuff, but truthfully, if I ever saw a ghost, I'd probably go crazy. <laughs> I think no, me too. I, I would be very freaked out. I was recently filming in Britain's most haunted castle, and I was really scared. Because I'd, I, people told me so many stories and people had seen stuff while they were there. The crew had seen stuff. And I was like, you know what? Just let me have a person with me at all times. I don't want <laughs> to brush up against any ghosts. Well, just to put a bow on everything here, uh, Devorah, uh, what's on the horizon for you that you can share without getting in trouble? Oh, God, nothing. I, mean, <laughs> I have a lot. 
I have a lot, but I can't. Uh, you know, until it's out, I can't share it. That's the that's so annoying. This is the annoying thing with most of these projects. And some films will let you sort of say that you've finished filming or you were involved in it, but video games is like so top secret. But I have very exciting games coming out next year, awesome. but I can't say a single thing about them. But but you know, in many ways sort of good publicity for you know for the game and stuff because sometimes you hear about these leaks and actually it's the game leaking it themselves it's been a uh, pleasure chatting with you yes likewise will you send me the link when it's all out and yeah i'll edit it make it yeah. nice and pretty and everything and thank you again devor i appreciate you thank you thank you nice chat with you all right bye-bye all right folks that's a wrap i hope you enjoyed that chat with Devora. as always thanks for listening And we'll see you back next time. Monsters, madness, and magic.